Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. In this episode of the Habits of Leadership, we chat with Dr. Lucy Hone about the tragic death of her daughter in a car accident. If this brings up issues for you, you'll find a link in the show notes to crisis support lines in your country. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Habits of Leadership. My name is Dan Hasler and joining me today is my colleague from Cut Through Coaching, Mr. Tim Perkins. G'day Dan, how are you? I'm very well mate, how are you? I'm very well today. Excellent. So, so, um, not a lot of people know this because you told me that you weren't going to tell anyone, but I'm going to tell everyone right now that um, you're working on a book. And uh, tell us what that book's about, Mr. Perkins. I'm so glad that my secret is safe with you, Dan. (laughs) Yeah, I am working on a book. Um, I've been working on it for a little while and will continue to be working on it this year and who knows for how much longer. But I'm working on a book around the idea of the relationship between resilience and mindset Mm. and how people's mindset dictates the way that they respond to adverse situations. Yeah, right. And so for part of the research for that book, you um, have been chatting to various people from all walks of life. That's right. I'm yeah. doing interviews with lots of different people from, as you say, from all different walks of life. So, yeah. you know, some of those interviews have included uh, someone who's a Holocaust survivor, mm-hmm. uh, a wonderful old lady, um, someone who lived through apartheid South Africa and uh, white South African um, working with the black South Africans and trying to help before escaping herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then more recently, as we're going to discuss today, a really interesting interview with a, a woman named Dr. Lucy Hone, who had a terrible tragedy uh, in 2014. Mm. So tell us a little bit about uh, Lucy. So Lucy is a really um, interesting person. She's originally British. Um, she lives in New Zealand in Christchurch and she has a background, she's got a PhD in positive psychology, which we're going to explore a little bit during this interview today, um, that you can hear snippets of today. And she had an opportunity to put her positive psychology training into practice because she um, she went through a horrible process of um, tragedy and grief and uh, slow recovery mm. from uh, the loss of her daughter mm. in, a, in a terrible car accident. Yeah. So you were, you you said there we're going to hear snippets of this interview because you you chatted to her not for the podcast but for your book. But then we uh, listened to the the recordings and we thought oh it might be uh, might be worth sharing some of that. So yeah. as my technical advisor Dan, yes. you, uh, you you helped me with the podcast of this, and then once we realised that. You know, we had some really interesting and valuable information here, particularly because, as as some of our listeners will know, we did a webinar last week based around mm. the, the concept of resilience and yep. that really landed extremely well with people. A lot of people are really trying to come to terms with how they manage um, their response to this COVID-19 mm. madness that yep. we all find ourselves in and resilience is such an important thing for us and and for our kids and um so yeah the timing of this with lucy seemed it seems a good time to share some of what lucy had to say yeah, from right. that interview yeah so um back in 2014 lucy's daughter was involved in a, a car accident and the first snippet we're going to hear is just sort of how lucy was feeling in the, the immediate aftermath of that yeah so they were going away on a holiday with some uh, family friends and at the last minute, in a situation that's not unfamiliar to most of us, I'm sure, it's, it's all too familiar, this story, really. Um, 
her little girl, Abby, asked if she could go with her friend who was going in another car, one of the other families, and um, and that turned out to be a, a, a terrible situation. Yeah. Uh, Lucy's very good friend and a woman named Sally, and Sally's daughter was also killed, uh, and, and Lucy's daughter, Abby, the three of them were killed in that accident. And this is uh, Lucy describing um, how she felt when she heard. Sort of feel fairly terribly. I'm, I'm not. I'm not really ashamed of it, but I'm not thrilled about the fact that what went through my head right then was, right. Didn't see that coming. Now, that's going to be the rest of our life story. Um, but it's in a quite a pragmatic, realistic um, way. Um, I mean, I you know then on top of that, that kind of rational pragmatism was all the the, the physical nausea, dry mouth wanting to, you know, get away, walk, caged animal, lying on the ground, walking, don't know, you know, just a lot of physical stuff going on as well as the pragmatic. And I went and phoned my sister. Anyway, so we then got in the car, um, police car, and the dear man Craig drove the four of us. Um, the four-hour journey home, for his, we, they swapped us over to another police car that was Christchurch-based, halfway, and I think we got to the hospital at 3 a.m. And then um, that is, and my sister's lot arrived pretty much at the same time as us. And, and that's, um, that's certainly, you know, grim, because um, then you have to go to the morgue. So hearing there from Lucy, um, you know, we're, we're nearly six years after the event now and although her response may sound quite pragmatic in that, in that aspect of the process, she was very upset when she was talking to me afterwards. So, I mean, the reason you're chatting to Lucy for, for your book, though, as you alluded to before, you know, is the idea of her mindset and her resilience in, in this circumstance. And what w I found particularly interesting from listening to the, um, the conversation you had and also... Um, you and I both heard her speak at a conference a couple of years ago, um, is the fact that she's used a lot of the principles that we talk about and we use in and around positive psychology um, in order to help her, you know, grow from this in a sense or, or certainly at the very least get through it, but in, a, in another way almost, you know, grow. That's right. So completely unrelated to this, um, prior to this all happening, uh, Lucy was very interested in the world of positive psychology, so interested to to the extent that she went and studied at, at the University of Pennsylvania under the, the really big guns of positive psychology, Marty Seligman, who, Professor Martin Seligman, who's the, the, the father, the, the coiner of the phrase positive psychology and, and some of the others that you'll hear Lucy mention in a minute. And, and really what they're exploring is what are the character traits of of people who are able to have a high sense of well-being people who re respond uh, in resilient way to situations and how can those um, characteristics be taught what sort of characteristics are they and how can they be taught and so she learned about a lot of this stuff in a very textbook sense and it all made perfect sense to her at the time but what she really discovered afterwards was a slight dissonance that she had between once you've actually got to put these into practice and, and she's really had an opportunity to put them into practice. But this next little bit we'll hear from her is a little bit about her studies there. So I went to um, study with Marty Seligman and Karen Rivich, um, 
and Chris Peterson and all the rest of them. But Karen is Karen Rivich is probably the most instrumental person actually on that course in terms of resilience because she wrote the um, comprehensive soldier fitness training program. And so she was one of our lecturers um, while I was there. And so I really feel like I learned everything about resilience from her. Um, and then what they do well there is that, you know, of course, it is a holistic model. Um, and so it is all that. We have Barb Fredrickson, who was our um, positive emotions <laughs> lecturer, and um, Chris Peterson around strengths and Shane Lopez around hope. Yeah, so Karen is the kind of real-time resilience um, person. But on top of that, when I came to write my book, really all of it folds in. And I'm thinking you know, a lot about that as we we were creating a lot of real-time resilience strategies, um, webinars and um, tip sheets for people right now for all, all sorts of organisations and community groups. Um, and it's all of those things I learned there. So you start to hear her um, exploring some of what happens in this, as she referred to it, this holistic model of resilience and, and this idea of positive emotions. And so this is the, the PERMA model that um, some of our listeners would be familiar with, which is the, the work of Marty Seligman around this idea of understanding our strengths, recognising what our strengths are. Um, and then, as she mentioned there, some work around hope as well and what it is to have a hopeful personality and developing that hopeful personality and how that can assist us in, in you know, in, in what we're describing here, what the story we're telling here with Lucy Hone is, is a story of really horrific trauma and the resilience that's required to respond to that. But then, there, you know, the same principles apply in much more day-to-day -day sort of resilience that's required as mm. well. Yeah. And then you go on to talk about the, I guess, the analogy that she can draw between how she was feeling in that time. But then since, the, obviously, 2014, particularly living in Christchurch, you know, they've gone through the earthquakes, they've gone through the shootings, and now... Yeah. You know, dealing with COVID nineteen, it's quite interesting to hear how um, how Lucy talks about observing what she's seeing um, in Christchurch. Yeah, and and what she talks about here, Dan, is this idea of when things go really wrong for people, they look for. We try to make sense of things, so we look for security, we look for comfort, we look for our version of safety, which is about trying to make sense of the world and and trying to protect and look after what it is that gives us structure and a sense of safety and reduces our sense of anxiety. And, of course, that that ties in beautifully with what we're all going through now with the COVID-19. I mean, that's what I've learned in Christchurch is, and I'm right here again with just all these different phases of, that you go through, the honeymoon phase and everyone desperately trying to do things. You know, that's what all the buying the toilet paper is about. It's just people yeah. controlling what they can control. Yeah, so it's not really their fault. It's how we're hardwired, isn't it, to to get ready to nest and hunker down and protect our young. So yeah, she sort of gives a an idea there that you know there's some interesting psychology going on for all of us here as we're trying to think about how we're going to get through these coming months, and this is a classic response to this sort of uncertainty and the anxiety that comes with you know a lack of certainty mm. which doesn't sit well with us we like certainty yeah of course and people um you know are criticizing um 
people who are going out and stockpiling and, and you know I guess to some degree perhaps rightly so particularly when we've had assurances that you're not going to run out of stuff and we'll be able to provide but um, I know that we've not caught it there but in, in your conversation you were both reflecting on the fact that people who are criticizing people for doing these things probably don't quite understand it's a perfectly normal human reaction you know i can con- i can't control the future but i can control how many rolls of toilet paper i have in my house right now yeah that's right and, and it's almost an absurd example but it's a very real one which we've all seen yeah you know? and i think what's upsetting is more in this particular situation around the toilet paper although perhaps we don't articulate it so well is a sense of selfishness mm which has really got nothing to do with the hoarding of it. The hoarding itself is a natural psychological response. Mm. I'm not going to have enough. I'm feeling anxious about Mm. the future. What can I do to support myself and protect myself and my family? Mm. But the way it's playing out is a selfishness. And as you pointed out there, Dan, you know, we've been assured there won't be – I don't know how Mm. many people have actually run out of toilet paper. I haven't Mm. come across anybody (laughs) yet that's actually run out. And, you know, even if we do in the short term – I don't know how big a drama it is, but this is more about the psychology of mm. trying to have uh, control over our lives. Yeah, okay. So from there, you then um, really explored this idea of, of what she referred to as acute and a prolonged kind of uh, trauma. And again, it's an interesting um, analogy because in this part, she's actually talking in the first instance about the earth, uh, the earthquakes. Yeah. But then you could probably quite easily see that as a you know we were probably all feeling an an acute challenge now and but let's be clear it's going to be fairly prolonged as well yeah so it's really interesting the analogy she uses and the fact that she is from Christchurch New Zealand is particularly pertinent because the the earthquakes in Christchurch the fallout of that is still happening and will happen Mm. for many years still to come this is a very prolonged traumatic experience for those people who are involved um the death of lucy's daughter abby was a very different experience to that you Mm. know the actual accident was an acute situation the aftermath of which is obviously far less acute um but in a sense it's a really interesting one to try and explore because with, with the earthquakes in Christchurch, one of the things that Lucy talks about is the fact that, which many of us probably didn't know, I didn't know, there were 10,000 aftershocks. Mm. Um, and so people lived with this horrible sense of, if I go to bed tonight, am I going to wake up safe? Mm. If I sit down to dinner now with my family, are we going to get through this meal safely? Mm. You know, is the, is the floor going to come out from underneath us? Are we going to be separated? Will, you know, will there be death? Will there be destruction? Mm. Uh, and it's that... that awful um guillotine hanging over people's heads Mm. which is a different sort of um resilience is required to deal with that and as you say there's a good parallel with what's happening with COVID-19 now because this is a sustained difficult anxiety that we're feeling as opposed to you know what happened in uh, Abby's case. One of the most interesting things for us all is to live through a prolonged disaster an acute and prolonged disaster so you get the anxiety from the moment and you know honestly I don't even think any of my Kiwi mates understood the aftershocks we would get but we got over 10,000 aftershocks and we had something yeah. like six earthquakes over a magnitude five so those are really nasty substantial earthquakes that really make you think oh my god am I going to die in this one um, and so they you lose your sense of security you you know you you there's lots of associated losses around that um, 
and then you get the long-term recovery phase which is just you know just a lot feeling helpless for so many people when they can't get their houses rebuilt and um, so it has been really very interesting from a professional point of view. So as you, as you hear Lucy talking there recognizing that you know um, these sort of things happen in many guises and and but the actual skills that we could put into action to cope with those and and what we're going to hear her talk about now is this very simple uh, sort of technique um, that she uses where she talks about whether the behaviors uh, the actions and the thinking um, that we put into place are actually going to be beneficial for us are they going to be helpful or are they going to be harmful I'll, and I love this because, I mean, the title of our podcast is Habits, <laughs> Habits of Leadership. So things that you can actually do. And obviously, whilst Lucy's talking about, you know, a particularly extreme case, um, hopefully one that, you know, we never have to deal with, but unfortunately people do on a daily basis. What I'm hoping will come out of this is that people will recognise that we have a choice about how we respond to things on in ev almost every moment, right? Yeah, that's right, Dan, because she actually talks about resilience literacy here. And in order to develop those habits that you're referring to, it's about recognising, having the language, having the thinking that allows us to respond in a way that is deliberate and chosen. And the choice that she specifically refers to here uh, from the outset is this idea that or very, in the very early days after this horrific accident, um, when the fellow who was driving the car that ran into uh, the car that killed the, the three people um, is going to court. And she and her husband are encouraged to go and sit in and give a witness statement, um, a witness impact statement, and to come face to face with the guy who has... Um, in effect, um, killed their daughter. And this is obviously a horribly confronting consideration for her. And, and what Lucy does here that really is extremely helpful, and as Dan said a minute ago there, this is something for us all to potentially take something from, is instead of just being caught up in a lack of choice, she stands outside of this and asks herself a very deliberate question, will it help me? or will it harm me to actually go into the court and see this man and what benefit could there be for me? And so she realises she has a choice and she makes a decision and we're going to hear about that now. It is a good example, that court case, Tim, because um, I think it was the first time that it made me realise that my training was at odds with the um, traditional grief literature and recommendations because we had victim support come and see us and they brought the victim impact statements that we had to fill out and then they told us so you have to fill out these statements and then you come to court to read them in front of the driver and I remember looking at the statement going oh my god even the statement is horrible I don't want to do that mm. it was all about mm. just dragging up all the awful things and the fact that they assumed we would go to the trial and that was probably the first time I remember thinking oh actually just is that going to help me or is that going to harm me and what could we be doing that would be more helpful in that time 
And so I guess with all of my work, what I'm really seeking to do is to help some people, not everyone, but some people realise that they can be active, not passive participants in their um, grieving process. And where that comes from is this huge body of literature that shows that the ways that we choose to think and act have a huge impact on how we manage to navigate trauma and um, adaptation to loss. So just recently, um, for example, in the last week, one of the activities I've been doing with HR people and middle managers is just getting them to just saying to them, okay, so the way we choose to think and the way we choose to act have a huge impact on our resilience at times like this. So just for a moment, sit down and think about one way that you have thought that has boosted your resilience this last week and one way that you've acted that has boosted your resilience this past week. And look at those and can you see how those things have made, those choices have made your journey through this really challenging week that bit easier so we've been kind of having that conversation and then I've said to them actually turn those into a grid so that this is the top half is resilient thinking and now challenge yourself to think also what is one way that I have thought and one way that I've acted that probably hasn't helped my resilience so you know is that your immediate diet um is that staying up late is it drinking too much wine um talking to people who have just got really overwhelmed you with detail that hasn't helped you um and then getting them to look at that quadrant so they've got you know thinking on one side acting on the other and then resilience above the line and non-resilient thinking below the line and Mm. saying to them okay so look at that and go okay which of these ways of thinking and acting is helping or harming you in your quest to get through this particularly challenging time as best you can yeah, I really, you know, love the idea that you can control, you can make a conscious decision as to what you're about to do. Is that going to be helpful or, or harmful? And what I particularly um, get from what Lucy's saying here is a lot of the times, you know, when we're talking about these things, we're talking about somewhat, if we're being honest, you know, as, an, as, a, as the objective person in, a, in an organization who've gone in to help them or whatever, often you think this is a pretty trivial issue that you're choosing to get really head up about here you know what have you thought about as she talks about that getting above the line so to hear somebody talk about being able to make a choice like that over something so devastatingly you know challenging um for me that's that's the real kicker for me and and recognizing that well if it, if it works here i guess the challenge is is it a personal trait or is it something that can be learned? And obviously, Lucy's life's work <laughs> is about giving the message and giving people the skills that absolutely it can be learned and it can absolutely impact the way you live your life. Yeah, that's right. And she she uh, is of the belief that um, some people have natural traits that are going to predispose them to being more resilient people. However, um, as you say there, Dan, can it can it be taught? And absolutely, 
um, as you say, it's her, it's her life mission these days to teach that. And some people are going to be able to pick it up better than others and some people it's going, it's going to help everybody, whatever level they pick it up at. But if we go back to her making that choice, it would appear to me to be the most natural thing in the world for somebody who's been through such a horrific ordeal. As she said, you know, in the research that she's done, the worst trauma that an adult can face is the loss of a child. Mm. You would have to think that Lucy has every right to absolutely fall in a heap, mm. to get into bed and pull the covers up and never want to get up out of that bed. What she's taught all of us through this is the idea that she wants to be, she wants to own the grief. Mm. She, she wants to be in charge of it. Yeah, you're right, Tim. And I think, you know, we're going to round out this um, podcast with, possibly what I think is one of the most uh, beautiful messages that came out of certainly when I was listening to to the uh, recording of your, of your conversation this just this hit me square between the eyes because you know I'm we mentioned just briefly there about you know above and below the line and one of one below the line behavior that we often talk about is you know blaming and and let's be honest you would absolutely feel entirely you know, in the right to be blaming the person who has, um, you know, caused this this uh, trauma in our life. And yet, remarkably, Lucy and her family almost refuse to blame. And, and she was telling a story um, of her son um, who really articulated the, 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 the desire not to blame. He wrote the most beautiful piece on Facebook straight afterwards too, saying, Anybody who blames the driver simply doesn't get it. Um, and it was just so beautiful. And he was just 16 the four days after she died. It's just like a family forgiveness thing that then united us. And, um, and I think it's a real family strength of ours is fairness and, um, yeah, wanting to... to understanding that having some compassion actually I haven't really thought of that but it is combined with compassion isn't it it's he didn't mean to do it that's the compassionate bit which I've never really it's more than just forgiveness it's that empathy of understanding that he didn't intend to do it I feel yeah I feel awful for him I mean he had three children two boys and a girl just like us pretty similar age you actually and one of the things that people write to me about a lot is is not blaming others and after the, my book came about out in whenever it was we had so many messages from people saying oh you just talking about not blaming the driver has changed my life you know I had some family bust up at Christmas five years ago and I've just realized that it is really harming me there's lots and lots of stories of people um, knowing that forgiveness is the only way forward an extraordinary thing to say that forgiveness is the only way forward and the incredible empathy that Lucy displays there when she's talking about the driver and when, you know, she she states that he, it wasn't his intention to do this, this is the last thing that he wanted and it's ruined his life as well and uh, she actually communicated with the driver for a while after um, this accident and I think I'm always interested in what people carry as a result of feeling slighted um, and the negative impact on the person who does that carrying. And with Lucy and her family, they, they just seem like the most incredibly evolved people. I mean, as she said, her boy 
was four days shy of 16 years old when he made that statement. And I think for both of us, Dan, you know, as parents of young kids, you know, it's just such incredibly impressive behaviour. Mm. He sounds like a very advanced soul, that boy, and um, and I think that he'll be all the better for it because he's chosen to let go. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, obviously we, we took out only very, very slim pickings from your um, interview there, but if people want to hear more... Um, about Lucy's work or find out more, what what, what would be some good places to uh, go uh, looking? Yeah, so Lucy works for the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. Um, and if you look up that NZIWR... We'll put a link in the show notes. We'll yeah. put a link in the notes. And that, that tells about her personal story and then also uh, gives you access to the book that she's written um, about the death of her daughter. And, and, and we'll I know, put a yeah. link in there as well. Yeah, and I know they're putting a, a fair few webinars together as well at the moment, particularly around, obviously, uh, dealing with uh, COVID. Uh, 19 in particular yeah but that's right yeah good job mate and keen to see how that all uh, comes out in in your book which nobody is supposed to know about yet but yeah um look we um touched on some pretty heavy gear there um so if that episode has brought up any issues for you if you're in australia you can call lifeline on 13 11 14 and we'll also put a, a link to um, a list of crises lines that you can access uh, no matter what country you are listening in from. But as we always say, if you found that conversation uh, worthwhile, then there's a fair chance that someone you know will. So feel free, please, to share it as far and as wide as you can. Also, please make sure to like the, the podcast, subscribe to the podcast and comment on the podcast because doing that just makes it easier for other people to find us. Yeah, and I'm also doing more interviews for this uh, book that we're trying to put together, Dan. So if anyone who's listening in um, has a story that they think would be really valuable for me to know about, about someone who has shown real resilience, not necessarily through tragedy, uh, through all sorts of situations, but someone who's showing resilient characteristics and, and a mindset that allows them to move on through adversity, then uh, please get in contact with me. The best yeah. way is just... Through the, through the podcast website, habitsofleadership.com. Hit us up on the uh, podcast page there, and there uh, you can also um, submit questions for upcoming Q&A episodes and make suggestions for guests that you might like to hear on the podcast but until next episode cheers tim thanks very much dan and take care take it easy